Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Hello, listeners. It's Nicole Giantonio, the founder of Left Foot, and I'm here to announce that our 12 audio-based business development challenges are now available. 12 practical, execution-oriented steps to predictable success. Part of the Left Foot GPS growth practice solutions for business development. Go to leftfoot.com GPS for details. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today's guest progressed like many New York lawyers from associate to partner to lead partner, running a practice group for a full service firm before deciding to start a firm bearing her name in 2017. The managing member of the Hertzberg Law Group, Aliza Hertzberg, welcome to Left Foot. Hi, Nicole. I'm very happy to be here. Great to have you on our program, Aliza, and congratulations on your new venture. Before we dive into your goals as a firm and specifically how the Hertzberg Law Group is positioning itself in the market, can you give our listeners a sense of who you are professionally and what personal strengths or habits have allowed you to be successful in your work? Well, I've been an employment lawyer and I've practiced employment law for my entire career, which is almost 24 years. And when I think about who I am, it's really, I'm, an, I'm a lawyer who's excited about practicing law. I'm excited about helping companies deal with all types of employee issues and also helping individuals with their employment contracts and their severance agreements and with advice. What I think has enabled me to be successful is that excitement. Would that be more about helping people, helping them through difficult situations? Yes. I think the passion has to do with helping companies when they're dealing with really difficult, sometimes very personal issues and helping counsel them through those issues and also helping individuals. I'm very results oriented. I'm very, I try to be very efficient and very practical and just find practical solutions to problems. And that bears upon creating policies for companies, helping them with day-to-day issues, and the litigations that I handle and that we handle here at the Hertzberg Law Group. It is really, really important for us to make sure that the business objectives of our clients are met, that we know our clients well, and we know the cast of characters so that we can give solutions, not just advice based on laws. You know, that's a, that's a great point because I think there is that idea of being practical and having you know, presenting information they can use that applies and not just providing consultation on what the law says. It's a very clear and and helpful distinction. Thank you. So you started your firm in this last past year. You decided to make the move and start the firm. What what is your strategy for growing your firm? Can you do you have a well thought out strategy, one that you're actively pursuing? What is that strategy? Well I have several strategies and In terms of growth, I don't have good visibility yet on growth in terms of the number of people that might end up here in the next one to five to 10 years, but that is something that I'm thinking about a lot. But in terms of just organically growing this business, I have a few things that I'm thinking about. The first is that I and my colleague, Lori Barnea, really service clients and we do receive referrals from other firms. We really are all about our clients. We give a very, very personal touch and we have a very personal approach to dealing with clients, whether they're companies or individuals. And that is one marketing initiative for me is to convey that personal approach because I think 
there is a lot of organic growth that we're already seeing and that we will see in the future. On the other side of things, this is the first time that I have been able to present myself as a women's owned business and as a business that would fulfill diversity initiatives with larger entities like banks and other corporations. And that is an area with regard to marketing that I have not even begun to exhaust or begun to scratch the surface of. And I think there's a lot of marketing that we will be able to do in that regard. And the third thing that I think about at this firm is that I've always, for all 24 years, I've been at um, full service firms. This is the first time that I've been at a firm where we only provide employment related services. And it opens up opportunities for us to work with many firms that don't have an employment practice or firms that do have an employment practice, but are much, much larger than we are. And that sometimes need a smaller firm to come in to help help with an investigation or with a conflict situation. There are many others, but those are the ones I'm most excited about at this point and I think will lead to the steady growth of the firm. Sounds like a great place to start. And, and of course, that conflict situation, I think, does present a lot of opportunities because of your tenure, because of your size. When there's issues of conflict, we interviewed Susie Scanlon from SRD Lawyers, and she has definitely taken that as, as part of her mission. I think there's a lot of uh, bandwidth there and a lot of opportunities. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. You had to have had a moment in your decision to go out on your own where you felt that there were two or three clients or potential clients that you felt comfortable would be clients of yours or that you had agreements with. Can you share a success story about a client that has transitioned to work with your firm and and how you went about acquiring that client? I had a a portfolio of clients at my prior firm that I have carried with me, that this is the third firm that I've carried many of them with me, and there are new ones all the time. Um, So I actually want to reach further back and tell you a story about something that was very encouraging to me when I was probably about six or seven years out. Um, So I had was working on a case for a client of mine um, that was actually a company where a family member of mine worked. I was a fifth-year associate when that case came in. It was 1999, uh, and it was a federal litigation but it was a family member and that was a more natural uh, place for me to look for clients at that time. In the course of the litigation, it turned out that the plaintiff had taped a large number of hours of events at the employer and we had to digest those tapes and we had to do it on a budget. So we hired some paralegals um, from a temp agency and they came in, they did a fantastic job. One of them happened to have been a lawyer who couldn't find a job at the time and she came to us, did paralegal work. She did the best job of everybody and we kept her for several months after everybody else had left so she could do additional data collection from these I call them tapes, I guess these recordings, they would, you would call them in 2017. I tried to mentor her and I tried to help her and she applied for many jobs while she was working for me and she ended up going to a company as a junior lawyer and they were looking for an employment lawyer and she sent them to me and they became a really, really lovely, nice sized client for me, one of my bigger clients at that time. time. And they stuck with me for a number of years and it was just such a wonderful result from just recognizing the skills of a junior person and sitting with her at times and explaining the overall picture of the case rather than just trying to pigeonhole her into one little piece of it. Thereafter, her going to someplace new and saying, 
I have a great lawyer for you who is just a great person and a smart person and a great lawyer, and you should use her. And for whatever reason, she influenced the general counsel to call me. It was a great success story in my mind. It's a terrific one for our associates that are listening in, our our newer partners who often feel that that they won't have an opportunity to bring in a large account where they where the general counsel where the decision maker will not be listening to their opinion. And of course they would. You know, why wouldn't they? Right. If they're looking for an alternative, they're looking for a great response. You know, there is an opportunity for lawyers at all levels to say, I know of someone and I think they would be a good fit. So it's a terrific story. Thank you for sharing that, because that is the kind of encouragement we need our are newer lawyers, newer to the field, newer to business development, and definitely are women lawyers to really pay attention to. There's a perception that women lawyers have about other lawyers, about other business people, that is definitely something that our counterparts will want to hear about. You know, what was the person like? Do you think they'd be a good fit? Were they respectful of the other people? A lot of people at the junior and mid-level forget that if you look to people 10 or 15 years senior to you for business, that's great. You can do that, but they know everybody's looking for business from them. If you look at your peers, some of them are going to be in positions of authority within 10 or 15 years, and they will be in positions where they can give you business. You have to remember that. And the second thing, and this was advice that someone, a partner at White & Case gave me many, many years ago. He, unfortunately, he's no longer alive, but he gave me, I think, the best business development advice, which is remember when you approach someone about business development that you are not asking them to pay you money. You are asking them to let you help them and to provide solutions and advice for them. And if you think about it that way, suddenly it becomes a much easier proposition to tell people about what you do and to be excited about it. That is terrific advice because that is exactly it. You're there to help them solve a business problem. And you're looking for that opportunity and that pleasure of being able to assist them. And likely, of course, if it's in your area of expertise, that you have something that they would value. You know, you don't have to talk about money right away. Terrific advice. And now a word from our sponsor, Nicole here, and a shout out and thank you for tuning in to the Left Foot Podcast. Are you looking to energize your business development efforts? Our 12 Left Foot Business Development Challenges will energize your efforts in three areas. Business Development Grit, tactical habits that lead to business development success, including networking, nailing your niche, how to focus and develop an expert reputation, commercial savoir-faire, a discussion on business and the revenue side of law. At Left Foot, we believe 20% of people are natural at business development, 10% say no to business development, and 70% are neutral and can adopt the skills necessary when presented in an organized, methodical way. To learn more and be challenged, go to the GPS page at leftfoot.com. Eliza, as you look at the market today, how are you shaping your approach to the market now that you are in your own firm? Is there something unique about your message to potential clients that has allowed you to A, gain clients, you know, as you've been established as your own firm and B, just feel confident going into organizations and asking for their business? The fact that I have been with at least two very, very large firms and then a couple of uh, mid-sized firms um, over the 23 years has really helped me to understand that the service that I provide is 
the service of a big firm. I'm just providing it from a smaller platform that I hope will be more efficient. It, my rate hasn't changed, actually. I kept my rate exactly the same because this is where I'm at. And in fact, the, the firm that I was most recently with is a middle market firm. And my rate is very economical compared to the people who provide the exact same service at larger firms. We operate leaner and meaner. We can be extremely focused on problem solving, being efficient and economical. It's really all about the client. I only need to bill the hours that the client needs on a certain task. And that's a great proposition not to have to worry about the overlay of meeting some other goal that has nothing to do with your case. Being client focused specifically in solving the client's issue. And getting to know your clients. We work for middle market clients. When somebody has 200 or 300 or 400 employees, I have to tell you, we can actually get to know that client and get to know which departments have more issues, which departments have less issues. There are clients I've dealt with for more than 10 years, some, some of them almost 15 years or even more, and I really know where to expect the issues to arise and, and who the players are. And that's also a great value add. You've been practicing you know, over a span of time, 15 years, that included a lot of change in the industry. Uh, definitely the legal industry is experiencing disruption, has seen disruption. There's been a, a huge technology component. How in your opinion, has the legal profession changed? We mentioned value. We mentioned being able to charge an appropriate fee for, for services. In your opinion, how has the changing market conditions affected your area of expertise? How has it affected the way that you're practicing? I have seen a lot of change. I graduated in 1994 from law school. Some of the change is that companies are not really interested in litigating cases. I wouldn't say that they're interested in settling those cases for unreasonable sums, but Certainly, they weigh the cost of litigation much more carefully than they did many years ago. I would say that, first of all, companies are trying to be more proactive. There's so much regulation coming down in all of the states. And so companies are recognizing that they need to be proactive in terms of creating policy. There's so much more going on for us in that regard. When we are engaged in a larger ticket item like a litigation, we certainly have to be very efficient and practical. And it gets harder and harder because electronic discovery has created a morass of of large amounts of documents and and email has has multiplied the number of documents that a case that a case an employment case has but we have to really work on creative solutions to limit those things we see clients want to know they want cost estimates and they also want to understand the trajectory of a case in a more fulsome way than they might have 20 some odd years ago so they want to see the projection of the case outcomes. They want to have an understanding of outcomes even, are you saying, before they will actually contract with you? They want you to give a pre-work summary? It's not that lockstep. It's more that they want to have some sense going along. And maybe it's just that I've grown as a practitioner in that regard. But what I've found is that the old style of leaving it to your litigator doesn't work. Even smaller clients that don't have an internal general counsel, they want to understand once they've hired us and once they've shown us the documentation and perhaps we've investigated a case, they kind of want to understand where could this go? What are the possible routes it could take? What is the cost associated with that? What I never want to happen is for a client to wake up after spending $150,000 and to find out that they could have settled the case for $30,000. Sometimes it's even worth it for that to happen if they get the person to settle for the 30. Oftentimes, clients want to figure out how they can garner an ending to a case earlier. And the reason why I say that is because in the cases that are not bet your company type cases, clients understand that one cost to them is the actual dollar cost of litigation, but employment litigations are hugely distracting to people who work at companies. 
that's an area where we have to think and we have to be in communication with the client, not only about the facts of the case, but about the big picture, because what goes on in court is very mysterious to clients at times, especially if they haven't been through it many times or if they haven't been through that particular court, that particular forum. That's interesting. There's a few points there that the clients are today want to be more involved or have a better understanding, not just leave it to you. And then that idea that they will look at those options. We're hearing that in a lot of different areas from our in-house counsels. We did interview Alan Bryan from Walmart as he's on the legal operations side. He said that they do look for outcomes. They do see that the value of settling is, especially if they're settling at a point where they've looked at the situation. They've looked at the situation that seems like the best alternative for all parties to settle. So they will go ahead and do that. So I I think there's a lot to be said there. Why not do something more quickly at that point about distraction? And of course, brand. These companies worry about their brand when there's cases like this. Great points. And that's a really practical approach. We had a situation about a year and a half ago where a company that is very focused on selling things to moms and kids, they faced a pregnancy discrimination litigation. I I truly thought the litigation was not well-founded and it was probably frivolous. Upon reflection and upon discussing it with the client, it was a much better idea to settle it for a little more than they wanted to spend because why would they want a news article about an alleged allegation of pregnancy discrimination for a brand that focuses on happy kids, happy parents, buying things for happy kids? It doesn't work. That's the kind of practicality that we try to bring to the work we do. And that's what I think changed about marketing in my area. As you know, Left Foot, our listeners are tuning in to hear about opportunities, new things they can do from a business development perspective. They're also tuning in to hear about different innovation that's going on in the industry. What do you consider innovative in the legal industry today? We mentioned e-discovery and more of a need to look at so many more documents today because there is this electronic communication. Besides e-discovery and ways of looking at electronic documents, is there something that you're seeing out there that you would consider innovative? I think I'm thinking mostly about the fact that I just started a firm in 2017. And had I started that firm in 2007, the technology would have looked completely different. When you started a firm in 2007, in 2006, I was with a tiny firm. You needed a server, you needed a lot of technology behind you. And now web portals that enable you to start a firm without a lot of hardware and a lot of capital investment, it's quite amazing. And that is really going to change the legal profession. It was possible for me to start my firm with certain providers, like my billing provider that I use online. It makes everything very simple and it's a very powerful tool and yet it's not a terrifically expensive tool and it certainly does not require me to have a closet full of servers. So the cloud and certain web portals have really, really helped. I think in terms of marketing, the message that I've always given to everyone and what I've always lived by is you have to remind people of your existence and you have to regularly send them information or brief reminder that you are out there and you can help. Technology and social media particularly has changed that to a great extent because it's made it easier to get things out there. You don't always get things out there to the particular people you want to. So you have to think, how will I reach the audience that I want? Do I have to send something to my contacts and also put it on something like LinkedIn or Facebook. I have noted that, for example, I posted an article that appeared in the Law Journal about our firm. I posted it on Facebook. Somehow through the feeds that come up, almost 5,000 people looked at that article based on my post. I was amazed. Then we posted a client alert that we put up on our website and a couple thousand people looked at it. So that's a very exciting way to reach people and to get the message out that we're here, 
we can help. We have basic information on our website. We can provide more information directly. I'm not telling you anything that's so shocking. Social media is what everybody's talking about, but I think it really is helpful to keep it in mind and to think of new ways that you can get that word out to a broader number of people than you could by simply making some phone calls or going to some cocktail parties. I absolutely agree with you because I think there's that idea of posting something and having that many people look at it, even if the person opening it is not a person that can make a decision that would result in possible business, the next person they talk to that says, hey, I've got this issue. And they're like, wait, I just read something about that. There's a whole trail from that. By covering your bases and having that many people look, it can create something significant. At Left Foot, we talk about you find what works for you and you have to try a lot of different things. And I can say for myself, I go to conferences. I think conferences are terrific. It's not the networking, it's the speakers, it's the people I'm sitting down next to that I might be talking about the presentation. It's being at the podium and saying something, hopefully of value to the people there that they're going to talk about. Those are the ways that I'm comfortable. Every person has to find out what works for them. To your point earlier about the barriers to entry of starting a business, you are absolutely correct. It's so much less today. And many of these services are free. I mean, that's a lot of the billing services out there. They're taking a small portion, definitely the communications, the cloud services. So there's a lot that's happening out in the space. And in your social media strategy. Do you have a frequency that you are communicating with your network? Do you have a format that you've tried and has been more successful than possibly a second formula that was less successful? I would say that I don't have a frequency, but I would like to have one. When you post things like client alerts, they're not going to necessarily get you immediate business. I think what they will do is reinforce the notion that you are an expert in what you do. And I think you have to look at a lot of ways to reinforce that notion so that when real human beings send you real client opportunities, those clients take a look, whether it's your website or whether they Google you and see that you are on the map in terms of whatever it is you do. That's what I found to be most successful. That's a great point there because a lot of it is business that comes down the road. I'll go to a conference and people will come over and say hello and say something about the podcast or something we're doing. And it's amazing to me that they're referring to something in the past, six months ago, and they remember it. It resonated for them. So I think that's a lot of what we're doing when putting this information out there. We're putting information out there and hoping that it resonates. Oh, yes. And actually, I spoke at the New York City Bar Association probably about five or six years ago. And once I started this firm, someone reached out to me on LinkedIn and said, oh, I'm so excited about you starting your own firm. I saw you speak at the city bar years ago, and I've been following you since then. And that person ultimately introduced me to some really helpful people at his firm. Many years down the road. For our listeners that are starting their business development journey, either new partners, transitioning partners, later stage associates, and know that they want to start the process of going out and talking to clients about helping them, earning their business along the way. What advice do you have for them? I would say the first thing is make sure you you are learning and gaining your skill, getting your skills down. It's very important to really be knowledgeable before you start thinking about business development or as you start thinking about it to make sure that you feel very comfortable in your expertise. Because the worst thing you could do is to go out to a client and say, I want to do this work for you and then have it all serviced by someone senior to you. It's not an embarrassment to say, I would like the help of someone senior to me, but you want to be there and be an expert in what you do. The next thing I would say is, Wear what you do proudly. Talk about it with your friends, with your business people you meet. Talk about it with new people you meet. Your personal and your professional lives, if you're really an entrepreneur, will eventually merge. And you will find that clients become very close friends and friends become clients. It's important to understand that there's that continuity and to just be the lawyer who you are 
everywhere you go. And then finally, when people come to you, and earlier I said you're really offering to help them, it's not all about taking their money. But I want to make it very clear that you need to be comfortable with the notion of saying that you require a retainer or whatever your rate is. As a junior, mid-level, or senior person, you should always know your own rate and the rate of anyone else you're thinking about pitching business for. You should know about your firm. You should be comfortable saying, my firm has a policy of taking a minimum retainer of X. You should Say that a hundred times into the mirror if you need to in order to be comfortable with it. People who need your help should understand, and if they don't, then you don't want them as clients, but they should understand legal services cost money and it's okay. Hopefully at the end of the day, they'll feel really good about the legal services they got and they'll have gotten benefit out of it. And law firms are businesses and they have to pay their bills. And we talk about how to get comfortable. And that's a great point. We role play at Leffa. We role play scenarios with our lawyer clients and this idea of saying it in the mirror, practicing saying it, and the fact that it's it's not a negative. And I think as professionals, we have to say, yes, I'm providing a service. And for that, this is the fee. And they can say yes or no. They don't have to say yes. I have this recollection of, of pitching someone. It was not my client. So I was kind of second in the in the phone conversation. I was pitching someone with an equity partner at a, at a decent sized firm. And when it came time to say, this is what we charge, even though we were on the phone, she looked down and she looked so embarrassed and so distraught about having to talk about money. She should always feel comfortable. You talked about talking about what you do. And one of the things that we encourage clients to do is talk positively and with energy about what they do, about the work that they do. And of course, you do that. It's been very apparent on our podcast here today. Can you talk more about that? Do you have any way that helps you on a day-to-day basis to be more positive? I think so. for some people that does come more naturally than for others. And I am a very positive person. I think that people should should kind of think about the work they do and think about how it has helped someone. So many times over the years, I've dealt with situations with individuals or with companies where I give them some advice. They are really appreciative afterwards. It just makes me feel good about what I'm doing. And sometimes the things I'm doing sound rather distasteful. You know, we help terminate employees, employment. We help do all sorts of things. Look at what you do and think about the parts of it you enjoy and really bring that to the table. Your advice is great. Bring energy. They get that energy from you. Great points. Aliza, any last points you'd like to share before you say goodbye? I can't wait to look back at all this in 10 years and say, wow, this has been such a great journey and how exciting it's been to not only build a firm, but also to promote others in the course of doing that. Aliza, thank you. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Left Foot. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. For information on our podcast, our 12-session business development challenge, and our online business development coursework, visit leftfoot.com. It takes focus and thought to lead with the left foot. Until next time.